For Inside Carolina, I'm Taylor Vipolis, and you're listening to this podcast, which is a part of the Inside Carolina Podcast Network. On today's episode, I'm joined by my fellow Carolina football letterman, Mike Ingersoll and EJ Wilson, to talk about Carolina's latest game against Notre Dame, where the Tar Heels came up short on the road. Before we get started, though, I just wanted to say thank you for being here. Be sure you subscribe to Inside Carolina wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube so you never miss out on any of the content the team at IC puts out. The support doesn't go unnoticed on this end. Speaking of support, we want to support the people that support us. So that's why I've got to mention our friends over at Johnny T-Shirt. When it comes to Carolina apparel, nobody is better than Johnny T-Shirt. They've got the T-shirts, the jerseys, the hats, you name it. They probably have it. Basketball season's coming. The cold weather's coming. They have everything that you could possibly need to have you looking your best in your Carolina gear. It's great people. Great customer service since it's locally owned and operated by alumni. Check them out on Franklin Street if you're going to be in Chapel Hill or visit them online at johnnytshirt.com. And don't forget, Inside Carolina premium subscribers get 10% off their orders. All right. As always, it's Mike Ingersoll, EJ Wilson. Guys, Carolina, the alternating of wins and losses continues with Carolina losing to Notre Dame 44 to 34. CNC falls to four and four on the season. EJ, I think I think the elephant in the room is the defense. So we're going to get started with you on what what were your biggest takeaways from this game? Maybe we should recruit an elephant to put him right in the middle of the defense and just try to stop the run because that's exactly where they were running the ball yesterday. And that was honestly one of the most disheartening things. And I think that's really my first takeaway is that we showed no fortitude yesterday overall in the middle of our defense where our strengths lie, where we have Raymond Vohasic, where we have Jeremiah Gimmel, where our most – I think our most stout and sturdy defensive players are right there in the heart of that defense. And we had a guy run – for 200 yards. I mean, like we were talking about before um, we got on, like we almost gave up three games worth of rushing yards yesterday, which is absolutely unacceptable. So first takeaway, we can't stop the run. Uh, second takeaway is that we found out something new about our defense, but not in a good way. It seems like we're finding out new bad things every week. And yesterday we saw our backside pursuit was exposed badly. I mean, every run that that kid from Notre Dame said, and, and I can't say his name anymore because he gave me he gave me nightmares last night. How he was cutting through the defense. I think he trucked me in my sleep. But so, but but I mean, uh, think about the ninety-three yard touchdown run. We had that guy dead to rights. I mean, three or four guys had a chance at him. He comes around, stiff arms. One of our best defensive players. I mean, one of the most vicious stiff arms I've ever seen. I mean, poor Taman, God bless his heart, did a flip once he hit the ground. So, I mean, to, to, to get hit with that type of power and determination, I wish we would have had some of that on our side. But not only that play, but through, throughout the game, it seems like we were kind of taking care of play side, but no pursuit. Will, I mean, no pursuit was there. I mean, you kind of see, you kind of saw some of the things I was talking about when Jaquarius Conley took an absolutely terrible angle trying to make a big play on a bubble screen, which he really had covered. He was in great position, but instead of going out and trying to cut off the screen, he goes and tries to intercept it and make a big play. And I think that's was really what was happening on the backside of some of those plays. Uh, third takeaway. I, and, 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 and I hate to single out players. That's not what I what, know what I like to do. And, and I mean, I hate it. It wouldn't happen when I was playing, but Don Chapman has really been struggling over these last two games, whether it's been beaten coverage, whether it's pads interference, whether it's just, just looking confused. And I mean, I really don't know 
what, what's going on with our secondary as a whole. I mean, it seems like some plays will have guys covered up, and the next thing you know, a guy's running free with, with no one within 10 yards of him. So I don't know what's happening to that. Um, last takeaway, which is something that our fans probably don't want to hear because this is what this staff's been hanging his hat on. We don't have the talent to compete nationally with some of these big time schools. I mean, you see the speed that Notre Dame had at wide receiver, the 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 basically a, one of the most elite running backs I've seen play this season so far. I mean, the the guys just look like they were faster than us, like they were more athletic than us, they were more agile than us, and that's something that I, I've never really seen that discrepancy in talent all year. But as we've been mentioning, I mean, we we kind of been talking about. <clears throat> Where's the, where are these recruiting classes? Where are this talent? Where's this development of players? And I think that really was a real sore spot um, on national TV last night. So, I mean, overall, uh, I wasn't really impressed with our defense. And it just looks like, and I wish I could say it's more of the same, but every week we're seeing something new that this defense doesn't do well. And I mean, usually most defenses are the, have cool nicknames like the the purple people eaters or the steel curtain. Our defense is going to be the team highs because everybody seems to score their their season high against us this season. So that's the that's what we're we're, 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 we're the th defense and that doesn't stand for Tar Heel. Oh my yeah, it's uh it's a, it's a good nickname. Uh-huh. Miami scored their team high. Well, guys, this was a great time. podcast. Have, have, have a great week. Yeah. Miami scored their team high against a Power Five team against Carolina. Georgia Tech scored their team high. Um. And then, of course, Notre Dame, and it's it's not looking too good for the Carolina defense because they're playing two of the top five uh, scoring in the country the next three weeks with Pittsburgh and uh, Wake Forest, of course, um, coming up on Saturday. But, Mike, what about you? What were your biggest takeaways from this game? Uh, I mean, everything EJ said, ditto. Uh, <laughs> I don't – I mean, I know I'm the offensive voice on this, but – you know, we're getting to a point where it's like, I've said this before, we can't score 50 points a game and you know, to beat people like it, that can't be our expectation anymore. And that's been our expectation across staffs now. Mm-hmm. You know, we're talking, this is Mac Brown staff has been here. However many years it's been what three years mm-hmm. Fedora's staff had the same problems at the end. That's why Mac Brown is now the head coach because we couldn't stop anybody on defense for the most part we could put up a ton of points really didn't matter who was back there you know throwing the ball we were gonna be able to put up a ton of points this looks this season looks very reminiscent of the mitch trubisky season mm-hmm. you've got an all-world college quarterback all right a kid that's i mean i don't know if he's gonna be number two i don't know if sam's gonna be a first rounder anymore but preseason heisman candidate which mitch was not okay preseason Heisman candidate who whose skills have not diminished by the way his production has diminished as a as a result of everybody around him but last night was not Sam was not the issue last night Sam has not been the issue really for most of the season um, I, I would say that it, Sam's production has been hamstrung by what we talked about early in the year like you think of the Virginia Tech game you think to the Georgia Tech game Early on, he's trying to feel out the pieces he has around him and get comfortable with the guys he has around him and basically learn his new offensive personnel on the fly, which, you know, I don't don't care how many practices you have, how much training camp time you have, that kind of thing is not going to be worked out until you get into games, you know, into actual game situations where you have live bullets flying. And it looks like last night was finally the point where it all started to click. Sam's putting up 300 some odd yards. He's scoring with his legs. He's, he's throwing, he's, he's throwing for touchdowns, big plays here and there. 
he's spreading the ball around to more people than just Josh Downs, which made the offense look completely different and much more efficient. It looked like Longo's offense from years past is what it looked like. Ty Chandler had a coming out party. The offensive line looked pretty good for the most part. Uh, there were a few things they, that they need to clean up. You know, uh, I, I'll say that our, you know, We have some issues at our tackle spots, but really it's a concentration problem. It's not so much a physical ability issue. We have a lot of, uh, a lot of things we've got to clean up both sides of the ball, but stupid penalties on the offensive side, you know, we, we, we can't be giving up dumb holding calls down in the red zone, having touchdowns called back. You know, I'll I'll go ahead and I'll talk about this right now. Um, At the point that uh, who was a William Barnes, had to, I think it was William Barnes got that holding call down there on like we're like on the six yard line going in. Sam rushes, Sam runs it in, scores a touchdown, would have given us the lead. We ended up having to settle for a field goal because we got backed out of, uh, backed out of the tight red zone, um, and we got put down. We got we got backed out in there into that green zone area. Um, we ended up having to kick a field goal instead. At the point that you're down there and you, as an offensive lineman, and you feel a guy trying to spin out of your block, and you know the only way you can beat him is to hold him but you're that close to the end zone, let them go. That's situational awareness. That's something that I haven't seen us have a very good grasp of this entire season. Have some situational awareness, let him go. Maybe he makes a play, maybe he doesn't, but if he makes the tackle, we're still three, four, five yards closer to the end zone. Maybe we punch it in the next play. Don't back yourself out 10 more yards and have a touchdown come off the board. Like situational stuff. That's just game awareness. That's just football awareness and football understanding um, that I don't, I've seen a disconnect there a little bit this season, but that's just, that's one example. And I'm not calling him out personally. I, I think otherwise our offensive line had a pretty good game, but as a general proposition, I mean, my, my key takeaway is poor Sam. This kid can't do any more than he did last night. He threw a he threw a bad pick. I mean, okay, our defense came in and actually held him to a field goal. Defense did what they needed to do, okay? But Sam can't do everything. He The reason he's throwing that pick is because he's trying to force things now. Now he's trying to make big plays. And, oh, he's also getting hit as he's throwing the ball, okay? The kid rushes for 100 yards, has was it one touchdown, two touchdowns, had one of them called back, mm-hmm. okay? He's throwing for touchdowns. Okay, he's getting the ball where it needs to go. He's spreading the ball around. I mean, he he's taking hits. He's delivering hits. Okay. He's picking up first downs with his legs. Okay. These are he is doing literally everything. And for a kid who doesn't show emotion, you saw the frustration on his face last night for the first time. You saw him slunked over on the bench with his arm up on the back of the bench. And I could see the thought in his head. It's like, what else do I have to do? I, I mean, I, I can see it. And he's, and he's a team guy and he's a, he's a positive guy. He's a leader in that locker room and he's a, he's a great football player and he's a great influence on that team, but he's also human. All right. So if Sam is having thoughts like, what else do I have to do to make this work out for us this season? If the, if he's having those types of thoughts, you can't really blame him. I mean, he's doing everything he can and you go into South Bend, Indiana, against the number 11 team in the country that's loaded with talent, and you put up 34 points with a turnover, you should win that football game every single time. You shouldn't need 50 points to be a football team every week. Miami's another one. Had a, barely squeaked one out. They still put up 42 points against us. We had to put up almost 50 points to win that game. I mean, we got to put up 50 points to beat Wake Forest. The answer to that question is, hell yeah. They put up 500 yards of offense this weekend. <laughs> 
five touchdowns or whatever. Sam Hartman over there is 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 killing it. Mm-hmm. We're gonna same have thing, a, same thing with Pitt and Kenny Pickett. Yeah, Kenny Kenny Pickett. I mean, dude, he's <laughs> they they put up four or five hundred yards this weekend. I mean, we have a nightmare of a November coming up. And if you're sitting here telling me the only way we're going to win these games is to put up 50 or 60 points, well, I mean, we're going over in the month yeah. of November. And, 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 now, and now here we are with my big fear of, are we going to make a bowl game? Mm-hmm. We're four and four, folks. we got four games. Two of them are against the two best teams in the, co- in, in, in the ACC right now. The two best teams in the ACC, I never thought I'd say this, are Wake Forest oh. and Pittsburgh. Here we are. And we got them both back to back, and they're putting up video game numbers, and their defenses are very good. Lucky us. Lucky us. So if we're four and six coming out of these next two weeks, are we are we going to beat State? Like, are we going to a ball game? This is a team that we thought might actually be pushing for the playoff. Mm-hmm. So my takeaway is that's my long rant. That's also the entire podcast for me. Don't even bother <laughs> coming back to me. You're done. I'm done. <laughs> My my takeaway is poor Sam. Yeah. And everybody needs to be every fan, every subscriber listening to this needs to be proud of the fact that you got to watch Sam Howell play football for North Carolina and not Florida State. <laughs> because that kid has been a godsend to this program and he's represented the program in a positive way. He's done everything right and he has killed himself. That kid is an absolute warrior. Mm-hmm. And he was last night, and he, he, ha, he has been almost every week this season so far. And the weeks that, you know, he's looked a little off, I don't, I'm not even blaming him at this point. I mean, it, it's, it's a supporting cast and working the kinks out. And they've all worked the kinks out. Offensively, we looked good last night. But he can't do everything. He can't do everything. Yeah, I tweeted out last night. Uh, I think after his last running touchdown, I, I try to tweet a little less during games now. And I, but I just had to tweet out, appreciate Sam Howell. He's special. That's it. Um, because what you're, what you're watching with this Carolina team right now, it's, it's a top 15 offense led by one of, if not the toughest quarterback in the country. I still stand. I don't know that there's, I don't know that there's a tougher quarterback in the country, like a physically tougher, mentally tougher quarterback. I I, I honestly, he may not be the number one quarterback drafted. But in terms, but if but if toughness and is an intangible that gets that gets graded, there's nobody. It's him, and then I don't know who the next close second is, if there even is one. Yeah, I stand by the fact that if you're telling me I could have any quarterback in the country right now, I'm still taking Sam Howell ten mm-hmm. times out of ten, not knowing 100%. who you're going to be surrounding him with. It's just he he always gives you a chance to win. It's it's the same situation we've been saying where it. Yes, Carolina is ahead of where they probably should be in terms of rebuilding a team that had won five games in two years before Mac Brown got here. But when you have a generational quarterback like Sam Howell, that all of a sudden should speed up the the rebuild process to where, you know, if you're going into three years of a generational type quarterback, the best quarterback that's ever played at Carolina, and he's not going to play in a conference championship which is which is crazy to say with what he's doing on the field and how he's carrying. And that's that's really the frustrating part with the defense, where if they were even mediocre, mm-hmm. Carolina's in the ACC championship. Well, 2015. Um, I mean, that's 2015 all over again. Uh, yeah. how, how, we've been saying that since 2015. If if if, if they just, had a mediocre defense. I mean, here's here's the thing I heard Drew Brees say last night, you know, talking about the top 15 recruiting classes and the job that Mac Brown's doing, which should not we're not ignoring that okay 
there's a whole different question about player development and what's going on there. Okay. But in terms of getting the talent into the building, like we're fine there, but Drew Brees made the comment that I've been hearing EJ, Bill Stewart said this when Bill Stewart was a head coach at West Virginia, mm-hmm. he said this about us after the 09 bowl game against Pat White and Steve Slayton. Carolina is a sleeping giant. Yep. Last night, Drew Brees said, you know, the future is so bright for this, you know, down in Chapel Hill or something to that effect. How long is the future going to be bright? We're not a a sleeping giant. We're a narcoleptic giant. We're we're comatose, dude. Like, Mm -hmm. we're we're in a COVID coma. Like, that's what what we are. It's it's also the same argument as the defense is close because we've been saying that for for – Years hey, now, you, and I'll tell you what, Ch- Chaz Surratt. Here's another one. Someone needs to be appreciative of Chaz Surratt in retrospect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, how much better was that defense when they had him on it? That's not a knock on Jeremiah Gimmel because him oh, and no. Jeremiah were fantastic together. How big of a factor was Chaz Surratt flying around out there with his hair on fire, throwing his body into other human beings and blowing stuff up completely out of control most of the time? Okay, how big of a deal was that? Yeah, huge man. Yeah, that we don't that we don't have anymore. Like, look at how much different that we're doing the same stuff schematically. Jeremiah Gimmel blitzes the same way that Chaz did, mm-hmm. right? But we don't have Jeremiah and Chaz. We just have Jeremiah. Yeah, and yeah. we have pieces that look good around him, particularly on the inside of the defensive line. We have a lot of pieces that look really good, but they're close. When do we get them over the hump? Yeah. I think I think the sad realization that Carolina fans are kind of having now is that the window to win with Sam Howell is essentially it's closed and the success of the oh, program, he's gone too. Yeah, yeah the, he's suc- gone. the success of the program now falls on whoever follows him and it's huge shoes to fill. Notre Dame scored on eight of ten possessions. You're you're just never gonna win a game like that on the road against the number eleven team in the country with how much talent they have. But EJ uh, I, I opened it up to questions for people on Twitter for the podcast today. And everybody, oh, obviously, bad idea. <laughs> everybody obviously wants to don't make mistakes, Taylor. Okay. but how, how the, the biggest question was the defense obviously has problems. How do you fix the defensive issues Carolina has now, or can they be fixed with this current group in season um, with, with how much time they have left, I guess. Um, I'll answer let the, the other last. team score. Let the other team score every time, so the offense has more time with the ball. Yeah, I, I, that, that, that's that's really the only thing. I, I think I'll answer that first question, the last question first, because it's the shortest and easiest answer. Uh, yes, it, it's too late to fix any of these issues during the season because none of these issues are X's and O's or, no, or anything that I think that normally I would say these things could be worked out in practice. But at this point in the season, at this point with these same group of players, we're seeing the same thing. We're consistently seeing guys take bad angles. We're consistently seeing missed tackles. We're consistently seeing guys being out physical and out position. And, and after consistent- a bye week. Yeah, exactly. After a bye week. And then I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get to that. because That's another, that's, that's probably why I was so upset in the beginning because we look like this coming out of, off of a bye week, but we don't we we just don't really have it. I mean, it, it, it's really disheartening to see these type of mistakes. It's not like, OK, we, we just didn't have a guy covered. And, and granted, we did have a long play where I think that Notre Dame did scheme us up and they, they did scheme us up in some of those and put our defenses in bad positions where we were just kind of beat from the from the snap of the ball. But I think for the most part. I'm not saying that we could have just stone cold stopped them if we had to cut down on the bad angles and the missed tackles, but we don't give up that amount of points. And with the way our offense was playing, as Mike mentioned, 
I think that we we really had a legitimate chance to beat Notre Dame. If you put up 34 points against them in South Bend, then most of the time you should be winning that game. But that wasn't the case. So I know I, I don't I don't think these things can happen. The only way you fix these things is by having a uh, a, a regimen in this offseason. The, the street it has the strength coach has to be involved. Everybody around this program has to be involved. When we had issues and we were at Carolina, those issues didn't get fixed during spring practice or during training camp. That got fixed with Jeff Connors in the in, in the in the in the oh in the EJ room. EJ hold on now hold on mm-hmm. the fan, fans don't like it when we talk about. Oh, what we played. Yeah. No, oh, people don't oh, like it when we talk oh, about what we oh. played. Well, 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 even well, though that's I, the only experience we have. Exactly. Well, 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 I, well, I'll speak hypothetically. Hypothetically, this is something that should be done with the hypothetical strength coach who, because I mean, you're spending the most time with this guy. I mean, the, I, I've heard some players, since we can't talk about us, say that even in some of these things where you're doing speed drills, a lot, of, a lot of these things are being incorporated into things you can't do. For instance, if you're taking bad angles, our speed drills aren't just running on the track or running wind sprints. We're, we're taking pursuit angles. We're doing change of direction. We're making sure we're we're on the coach. I mean, I mean, people out there doing crazy things, running all around, but you have to have the right pursuit angle. And the thing about it is a strength coach is going to penalize you a little bit harder than your position coach will. It's not just, Oh, you're getting taken out of the game or you're going to watch for a few snaps. You're going to go run stadiums. You're going to, it, something's going to happen if you're not disciplined in those drills. And I think that's the only way that you can fix it. And this has to be all hands on deck. I mean, you, you think about it just like anything else in our country. If we want something fixed, hypothetically, then you have to get together and you have to go out and fix it. You can't just say, oh, I hope this gets fixed or I hope this changed. You have to go out and be purposeful, be intentional about changing. And I don't think we're purposeful or intentional about fixing any of the issues that I've had, we've had, because I I just don't get how something transfers from staff to staff, especially when the most time that you're going to have a player at extreme situations is six years with like Taman Fox. He's a really one of the main guys that's really played significant time for both of those staffs. But Taman's also not one of those guys that you see going out there making these same kind of mistakes, which you would hope to see from a super senior. Yeah, he got stiff arm on that long play yesterday, but that stiff arm was, a, I mean, I don't know many guys who would have fought through that stiff arm. It was well, just they shouldn't have been in that execute. position in the first place. Exactly. Exactly. He was one of those people that was in that right angle. But if a guy stiff arms you right in the crown in the middle of your helmet, it, 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 the exact place where they coach you up to put it. I mean, I, I've seen Lawrence Taylor get stiff, fall victim to those same stiff arms. So, I mean, let's, and it, it isn't it weird how we're comparing him to Lawrence Taylor so much these days, but that's another pie, but yeah. So Kyron Williams was planning anybody with that stiff arm. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that that was the second most ferocious stiff arm I've seen since Derrick Henry. And not saying that he threw the guy made him fly, but when a guy <laughs> hits the ground with that type of velocity that his feet pop in the ground, that that that's, that's a perfectly like Mike can tell you when you mm-hmm. perfectly execute a double team or something like that, you can see some pretty extreme reactions from the guy you're blocking. Mm-hmm. It can look like you put everything into it, and the guy will go flying when all you did was take your right steps and explode from your hips. And that's exactly what happened. So um, we have to be intentional and purposeful about changing these things. And, and until then, it won't happen. We have the talent in the, within this defense. We have people that can run. I mean, you, you think about a guy like a Cedric Gray. I think if he has one more year with Jeremiah Gimble, I think that we, then we have that same symbiosis mm-hmm. of, 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 of like Jeremiah learned from Chaz and then he learns from him and then we bring power echoes along and let him play beside him. That That's really how you want to develop a defense. But I mean, and then that's no knock on Cedric Gray. I do think that we're in position to kind of have that position going forward. But and he's another guy I don't see making a lot of these kind of bad mistakes that we're seeing. But I mean, it's still it, 
football is a team game. It's not like basketball where one guy can go out there and take over. You need all 11 guys on one accord and all 11 guys with the same mentality. And I just don't think this team is very intentional or uh, purposeful about correcting these mistakes. So it's going to take a while and it's nothing that's just going to magically be fixed this season. Mike, when you're looking back at the offensive side of the ball, Sam Howell, he looked like he was a lot more purposeful in terms of spreading the ball out, like you mentioned in your takeaways. How encouraging was it to see more receivers get involved where, you know, obviously Josh Downs is going to go off every game, 10 catches, 142 yards, but seven other players caught passes. You have Anton Green, 83 yards, Bryson Nesbitt, 50 yards, Olsen, 25 yards, Todd Chandler, DJ Jones, Kamari Morales, and JJ Jones all caught passes. So how encouraging was that to see and going forward these next three, four games? Well, I mean, that's how our offense is designed to work, and that's what's going to make it successful. So it's nice to see, you know, we, we find it took us too long to get to this point, but we finally got to that point. Um, and, and listen, it, you know, folks forget that Sam had an entire season with Daz Newsom and Deami Brown and all these guys. He had an entire season with these guys before last season to get comfortable. And there were growing pains in that first year that Mac was here. Um, you know, there were issues with getting the ball spread around and getting it into different guys' hands some games. Um, you know, it takes time to get comfortable with the group that's around you. Um, we just had to do it sort of in a crash course. And I think that, you know, the, you know it, took, it took eight games for that to happen here, or seven games, I should say. This was the eighth game. It took seven games for, you know, for, the, for Sam and for that offense to really become a, a cohesive unit um, the way that it would have hopefully have been, and, you know, we all prayed it would have been, Going into the Virginia Tech game week one, it took seven weeks to get there, but we're there. Um, and if you think about it in context, you know, it took that offense, you know, a whole season under Longo and Sam and those other guys to really start to click before they came into last season. And we're, you know, we're humming on all cylinders. I mean, I, there weren't, I, with the exception of the first half in the Florida State game last year. I'm having a hard time thinking of any one game start to finish. I mean, maybe the, was the Virginia game that, no, I don't, I don't think the Virginia game was that bad. I mean, I'm having a hard time picturing one game last season where the offense just looked inept. I, I recall there being one, I'm having a hard time putting my finger on it, but aside, you know, the one, the first thing that jumps out of my mind is the first half of that Florida state game. The second half of that Florida state game, the defense was lights out and the offense was scoring every single time it touched the ball at will whenever it wanted to. So it yeah, maybe, took a whole maybe the uh, second half of the Notre Dame game, but that was also just a, a, a much more talented team kind of. Yeah. So, I mean, but, you know, the point is that it, that, you know, after one season, you then came in the next year with a whole season's worth of experience under their belt, whole season's worth of uh, camaraderie and cohesiveness built in, baked in. Okay. That offensive unit came back virtually fully intact and they just showed out the following season. Sam, through his leadership, has been able to get that result in only seven, eight games now in one season. It didn't take a full season. So that's, a, that's the silver lining to this. We've got four games left. We'll see if the offense can continue to hum. We saw new players get involved. Some of that is out of necessity, particularly at the receiver spot, you know, due to you know, transfer portal announcements and things like that. But we saw some new faces, some new blood get brought in there. Um, we obviously, like you pointed out, we saw the ball get spread around a lot more. I think a, a big part of that too, is that Sam wasn't, he didn't look like he was trying to force a lot of things last night. He just made the decision and he went with it. 
And most of the time he was right with the exception of the interception to Josh, right? Which was the right read. Okay. It just, and they showed it during the game. Josh has bubbled out. Cause that's where he saw, that's where he saw the opening. Sam didn't read it. He was also being hit as soon as he threw the ball. So Sam threw it where he was, where he, where he would have at all times put it with the exception of that one variable. Okay. And as he's getting hit with the ball, he just puts the ball, he reacts and puts the ball where he naturally would normally put it just so happened to turn out there was a defender there waiting for the ball. So with the exception of that one play, you know, Sam looked comfortable. He wasn't rushing decisions. He wasn't trying to force things all night long. That's the Sam Howell that we saw last year. Um, that's the Sam Howell we've been hoping to see all this season. And it looks like now he's finally comfortable enough with the group around him to where we're seeing old Sam come back. And I hope that it remains for the next four games, whether we go two and two, whether we go one and three, whether we go four and oh, it doesn't really matter. I hope for Sam's sake that, that Sam Howell we saw last night is the Sam we see moving forward for the next four games. Yeah, and even even with the offense's struggles this year, uh, I was looking at the like the rankings and like how Carolina's offense kind of stacks up. They're twelfth in the country with four hundred and eighty two uh, four hundred and eighty two point eight yards per game, and they're twenty second in the country with thirty six point five points per game. So for for all the struggles and you know the perceived struggles with along the offensive line and the receivers, this is still an offense that's should be winning more games than not. And that's what a boo-boo game where they put up 10 points the first game of the year. Yeah. And uh, the the opposite to that is Carolina's defense is ranked 78th in the country with 396.6 yards per game (laughs) and a hundredth with 30.8 points per game against them. And, uh, I just Ugh. I think when you're when you're looking at this offense, I think Phil Longo deserves a ton of credit for how comfortable Sam Howell looked last night. I think there was probably more of a effort in getting, you know, some of these single read looks where your only your only look is, hey, we're, we're going to throw the ball to Anton Green here and on a route or, hey, we're going to try to get Ty Chandler out in space and you and uh, utilize him as a weapon in the passing game, because that's something we've been saying. Uh, you know, since preseason, like Ty Chandler is a, a weapon out of the backfield. And I God, think Sam hit him in the face mask on a wheel route. Perfect yeah. read too off the blitz. So he just yeah. saw it coming. Ty knew to hit that wheel route and you know the yeah. release to the wheel. Sam hit him right in the face mask. Boy, you can't. I mean, that there, that throw, I know it's not necessarily related to the point you were just making, but that throw was gorgeous. I mean, yeah. fans want to see what that throw, what that throw is supposed to look like. It's supposed to look like that. Yeah. That's an NFL throw. Yeah, so seeing Ty Chandler get more involved in in the passing game is is great. I think it's something that they've been trying to do, but Howell just hasn't been looking his way, um, and he's kind of been locked in on Josh Downs. But I think last night, like you mentioned, Mike, is is what the Carolina offense should look like. And when the offense plays like that, you're expecting them to win eight out of at least eight out of ten times, and the other two times are when the defense puts up performances like that, but it's, it's almost the same old, same old with the defensive performances. And the other thing, when you're looking at the receivers that I'll just mention real quick is Bryson Nesbitt. It's like, I've kind of been on this early. We, we got, we got some, we got some tight ends. Yeah. I've been saying early when Carolina struggles offensively, it's, just put as many athletes on the field as possible. Nesbitt is a little more of a liability in, in the run game and, and blocking, but overall he is an athlete at, at receiver, at tight end, whatever you want to really call that hybrid position. But uh, 
EJ, looking at the grades from Pro Football Focus, uh, Jaquarius Conley had an overall team low grade of 31.5. Cedric Ray was close behind at 34.0. It looked like where Notre Dame really had success was taking advantage of the edge and knowing that Carolina was going to take poor angles. Like I, I know that one touchdown, um, it was in the red zone. Jeremiah Gemmel was trying to like bump Chris Collins out and Notre Dame kind of just saw that threw it on the edge, basically a walk and touchdown. Any of us could have caught that ball and walked it in with uh, how, how much space they had. Uh, what are you seeing from this Carolina defense to where, they are taking such bad angles and teams are exposing them on the edge. It's, it's been uh, a week in week out. You even dating back to the first game against Virginia tech where Virginia tech had so much success was just throwing the ball on the edge, knowing that Carolina was either going to be late getting out there or the people out there were going to miss tackles. It, it's very weird to see, because when you think about the everything that we talked about this year and even what we've been seeing out on field, our best athletes are out on the edge of the defense with Tony Grimes, with having um, guys like Kimon Rucker out there on the edge, um, I mean, I mean, we have, I mean, Ra Ra Dill. We have, we have a ton of guys. I mean, Jeremiah Gimmel proved last night that he's a sideline to sideline guy. Even on the ninety-three yard touchdown where he was, he missed the tackle initially, and then was chasing the guy at seventy yards yep. down the field, which actually, which absolutely showed the type of grit that I, I, I thought this Carolina football that, team was going to be. About. Well, that tells you who Jeremiah Gimmel is too, and fans oh, will yeah. appreciate that. That's that's I noticed that too. That's a great point you made. I forgot about that. He's going to be a great player for um for somebody at the next level for a very long time. But it just seems like we're very inept on the edge of the defense. We've been talking talking all year about where's Des Evans, where, where, when is he going to emerge? And then we haven't really been seeing a lot from Chris Collins. And I mean, he, he was kind of inserted in the game last night, but I mean, we've kind of just been having trouble on the edge, whether it was Eugene Asante taking bad angles over there. Cedric Gray seemed to be taking a few bad angles and just kind of maybe looking a little bit more confused last night. Um, and, and I do think Notre Dame purposely kind of picked on the edges of those defenses because I mean, we are taking bad angles. I mean, there was even last night a comment where the commentator said they had the guys there to tackle him. It's just that he beat him around the edge and we were taking bad angles. I mean, that's really the story of the night. You And that's why I said that we can't fix this by, by the end of the year because it's not an X and O. It's not a scheme thing. I think that um, we're in the in good positions to stop some of these things if we play defense. I mean, these guys need to just stop relying on their athleticism and play true football. I mean, that, that's really where that, – that's where your program is going to change. Yeah, you have to have great sideline-to-sideline guys, guys who look good on paper and in the weight room. But if those guys can't go out there and execute, then, I mean, then what's it all for? So, I I, I just don't know. <laughs> I, I really don't know. I mean, we, we, we aren't setting the edge like we, we need to on defense. Um, in the bad angles, I mean, even if we are setting the edge, and I, which I think Taman has been doing a really great job of all year. I think Kimon Rucker's been doing a great job of all year. So when I say setting the edge, I don't mean at the line of scrimmage. I mean with our secondary players, whether it's a nickelback, whether it's an outside linebacker, whether it's a safety playing down in the box, or whether it's a corner on the short side of the field, that secondary edge is not being set. And I mean, you're even seeing it, like I said, that that kind of contributes to the pursuit angles. Even the guys on the backside that have the backside edge, they're cutting and knifing down inside, and the guys cutting back and just reversing field beating their angles and we're still missing tackles on that so even when we try to regain and make hustle plays we're still not making tackles and these are basic defensive fundamentals that should be fixed especially when you're bringing in three four five star recruits and with the type of coaching staff we had this should not be an issue so 
the, I think the edge of our defense is just going to continue to get exposed. And, and like we mentioned in the beginning with the offenses that we have coming up, I'm really scared that these numbers that we're giving up are going to be more and more inflated. And we're just going to keep sliding down those rankings. And I wouldn't be surprised if we give up another 35 to 40 points next week. I mean, maybe it's an in-state, it's a, it's, it's a rivalry game. Um, so maybe the guys will, will come to play like we kind of looked against Duke, but I mean, hey, we're coming down to the wire at the end of the season. You have two games against in-state schools. You have a game against Wofford and then a game against Pitt, who we kind of developed the pseudo-rivalry, Thursday night rivalry with over the last four or five years. And, and I hate that we're saying the Thursday night rival. When we, we when, when I was in college, those Thursday, the Thursday night games began as, as something that you wanted to play on. But about after two years, after you play in one, you realize that a lot of the big schools aren't signing up for that anymore. So – kind of sucks to be playing a Thursday night game every year against the same team. I mean, so, but that's either here nor there, but at the end of the day, if we don't, if we don't set the edge on our defense or start taking better angles, we're going to see more of the same, if not worse than last night, because I do think that Wake Forest is a little bit more of a well oil machine offensively than Notre Dame is. You know what I didn't know? I didn't know that Phil Longo played for John Bunning. Me either. Wow. Jump at off. Rowan. I just looked at, that's what I was doing. <laughs> I, just, I just looked it up at Rowan university. Wow. He uh, in New Jersey. It used to be Glassboro, Glassboro State University. It's like a Division three school. He learned oh, something yeah. new every day. I thought that was a joke <laughs> at first. No, I had no. I just looked up. He was a running back at, at Glassboro State, which is now Rowan University. Mike, one of the – He uh, had that thick neck, dude. This, he was a he was a Mike Allstott-looking white running back, like just a standard white running back. The same cut. haircut. The same oh, haircut. He, Oh, Phil Longo crushed skulls. I have no film on him, but just based on his photo with his bowed back neck, Phil Longo crushed skulls with his skull. Oh, man. Mike, one of the, uh, the game-changing um, series of, of, yesterday, or of Saturday's game at Notre Dame, it was the Sam Howell completes a pass to DJ Jones, first down, they review it, it goes short. It's fourth and one. Uh, Notre Dame had scored on their last four drives before that. Touchdowns on three of those last four drives. Carolina has a fourth and one at the opposing 27. Mm-hmm. They decide to punt. Mm-hmm. Is that a situation looking back? Well, not looking back because obviously you, you play the results, but in the moment, would you have gone for it fourth and one knowing that it was starting to feel like you know, you had to match Notre Dame score for score with the way the defense is playing because the numbers are saying punt that ball, I'm pretty sure, every time. But you also, I think, have to take into account the way your defense was playing. But kind of what were you thinking in that situation and how would you have kind of handled it? Um, I remember that play and I remember talking about it with my wife as we're sitting on the couch. And I told her um, I went through that same calculus that you're talking about right there. And I ultimately came out on punt the ball, don't chase points. Um, I don't, I'm not a chase points guy. Um, two point conversions, I don't think, or, you know, I understand the analytics of it all and it can be fun and, you know, all that stuff, but you know, there comes a point where you just got to play football. Um, in that situation, I would have punted that ball too and tried to pin them, which I think we ended up getting a pretty decent punt on that and, and pinned them a little bit. So, um, you know, I, I, I agree with the, I, I agree with the decision to punt it right there. We have not had a lot of success on short yardage situations, mm. particularly in, you know, short yardage to go where, you know, we have to convert to get the first down. Um, I, we haven't been great on that. I talked about that last 
two weeks ago on our podcast about how we were having a real hard time converting what seemed like second and short, third and short. Had that problem again last night a little bit, not as bad. We corrected it in a lot of areas. Uh, but in that situation, you turn that ball over on downs, it could be catastrophic right there. So I think you you trust your offense to be able to put up points. You hope your defense makes a stop. You trust your offense to be able to come out and be productive. Um, and you hope that that decision is the right one. I think that's that's the risk-averse decision. I think it was the right decision to make in that situation. Because, again, you, you don't convert that fourth and one. That game's over now versus later. Yeah, I think it's a it's a situation where uh, fans look at it and your running backs are both averaging over five and a half yards per carry. Um, I, I was kind of on the side of go for it just because, like you mentioned, you have to trust the defense to get a stop. Uh, what I saw was a defense that I'm not trusting to get a stop. So if, if I can't get that half a yard, uh, you know, we might as well just get back on the bus a little sooner. Um, but but it, is a, it is a good point that you mentioned where – uh, you can't you can't necessarily be chasing points. Um, but EJ, when it when a team doesn't go for it on fourth and short on a situation where it's clearly, you know, you should punt the ball in most situations. Does that give confidence to a defense at all um, when a coach when the coaches are looking at you guys like, hey, we, we need you guys to get a stop. Does that give confidence at all? Heck yeah, it gives confidence because it tells you that there's something that we've been doing all day that doesn't give this team the confidence to feel like they can get these yards and they think it'll be they have more confidence in their defense than they do in their offense against our defense. And I mean, honestly, just saying as a, a as a big boy down in the trenches, I love not playing that fourth snap. It was something about that fourth snap. It's just like you remember everything you did on those first three plays and it all just goes directly to your legs. I don't care if it's offensive or defensive linemen. If you're a lineman, the, the, those four down situations aren't really that that fun but I mean it, it, it is good I mean it's a very nerve-wracking situation because that, that's what we're thinking we're taught as defensive players to three down okay get them get them to third down get your pass rushers on the field uh let them get out to the quarterback cause disruption if we don't get the sack let's get off the fields it's time to go sit Gatorade and talk about what happened on the last drive the thing is, if you're struggling on a drive and the team sees that and they go out and, and they convert on fourth down and continue that drive, they know that you didn't you weren't able to go to the sideline and get adjustments. You weren't able to be subbed in to get a break or have a guy who's on the sideline seeing all those plays come in and maybe see something that you aren't missing. So there are a lot of things that go into going on going into a fourth down, especially with the team who's running the up-tempo offense, like, kind of like Notre Dame was last night, and especially with them, their constant switching of a quarterback. You never know what they were going to get and honestly it was really disheartening to see two quarterbacks come in and run the offense with equal efficiency I mean and they were two totally different guys but like I said that, that, that's a different talk for 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 a different day I think that's yeah but they're both running the football exactly exactly and running which, quarterbacks which you know. never happened a running quarterback and a freshman quarterback who I mean I mean and, and it's no knock on him being a freshman but it's just that I mean, if, if I know a freshman quarterback's coming into the game, I'm going to give him one of those hits. It's going to make him reconsider uh, what he's going to do in that read option the next time. Uh, yeah. Clean, of course, definitely clean, but he's still going to know that I'm there and that, that we're going to play physical all day. So, yeah, not, a team not going forward on fourth and short is definitely a big jolt to the system and an even bigger jolt to the guys who are ready to get on the sideline. Oh, not like that kid for Notre Dame who purposely threw a punch when he hit Sam Howell on the head? <laughs> oh, man. God, that was Every did, you see, to- did you see Brian Kelly? I saw I saw what he said to that kid, and it was not pleasant. 
<laughs> because every time we go to Notre Dame, we fight. You might, I think you were red shirted yeah. in 06 when we went and had the big brawl over there. Another fight that I was EJ, too tired to join. Stop talking about that. That's all I know. <laughs> yeah, about the uh, high school Harry, man. We never existed, EJ. <laughs> the thing with Jack Cohn, too, Notre Dame's quarterback, it's like he he's not a running quarterback by any any standard or any definition. But if you're just a willing quarterback to run, you're going to have success against Carolina. You're going to find holes here and there, and uh, the opportunities are going to be there to run. But EJ, the the last question I had for you was. Notre Dame, their offensive line came into that game super shaky. They gave up over four sacks per game, similar to Carolina, where you're seeing them both in like the 120th for sacks allowed per game. Carolina, they only mustered up one sack the entire night, which is right in line with UNC on this season. They're 79th in the country for sacks per game. Womp womp. So the question for you is, there, there should be enough talent there. Why can't the defense generate consistent pressure we don't have guys that can win one-on-one I don't think that other I don't really think that we have too many I I can't really single out one guy who I know can consistently win one-on-one in a pass rush other than maybe Taman Fox and maybe my well Taman because we know Taman done it we've seen him he is proof in his stats that he's done it and maybe Miles Murphy but nobody's showing consistency I mean even uh last the last game we played where we had some good pressure on the quarterback that was because of games and twists when you see a team running games and twists it's one of two reasons one is because the situation with our offensive line at the beginning of the season where they just can't handle twists and I mean that's going to cause disruption whether it's a passing play or a running play Mm -hmm. and second if your guys can't put their hands down and beat the guy in front of them just straight up and somebody's going to win that's another reason why you're going to be running games and that that's what you're really seeing with our defense I mean that's really one reason why I think I've been so disappointed with the play of Dez Evans because he was supposed to come in and be our big time pass rusher he was supposed to be the compliment to Tamon I mean Tamari had a big year as a pass rusher last year where he's really not seeing as much playing time I guess he's kind of being he's been stuck in that tweener mode of do we put him over the nose do we put him over at, at kind of that pseudo defensive tackle defensive end so he's not in there as much pass rushing for us so I mean we, we just don't have guys that can win on the edge I mean we have guys in the middle who can push the pocket and get in the quarterback's face they'll want to let them escape so we have that part of the pass rush but we don't have any guys on the edge we don't have any Robert Quinns or Kareem Martins or Holly Taylors or, or Quentin Copels we don't have we, we don't have those guys that can go out there and get you a sack whenever so until we get a guy that a guy that's going to develop and be that type of pass rusher then nothing else is going to happen. I mean, even I mean, and, and I'm back at it, Mike. When when I was there, I mean, we 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 don't rush the passer as well as we do if we're not following Robert Quinn's lead. I mean, that 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 guy was absolutely Michael Taylor. That guy was basically unstoppable. Uh, you could you can you can yeah. block him. Yeah, he. I mean, it got to the point where he was just like, oh, I'll, I'll let somebody else go in the most humble way ever. Like, and it wouldn't talk any trash. You need a guy like that leading the charge on pass rush, just like you have to have a guy on offense who's going to lead the charge when guys aren't when we aren't running the ball well. There's always going to be that one offensive lineman that's going to take it on his shoulder that's going to go out there and absolutely cream a guy and the rest of the guy rest of the line the rest of the people involved with the running game is going to is going to put a jolt into him just like if you go out there and you see a guy win on his first pass rush move or even go out there and win on his second pass rush move which is even more impressive then you're going to get a jolt because one you're going to say hey can I go out here and do what my teammate just did or that the, their offensive line may not be blocking well today, but and that's one of the things going into this game that I was very excited about the fact that uh, Notre Dame's O line was looking very shaky, and we were coming off a game where we got more pressure. But 
as usual, seems like their offensive line got it together just in time to play us. Yeah, and, and I will say, too, uh, EJ, I give you a bunch of crap about about talk about the good old days, if you want to call them. <laughs> it, the, the gripe, as I understand it, I haven't seen it firsthand because, you know, though I work for IC, I don't read those message boards because I know better. <laughs> um, but as I understand it, the, the, the gripe is that the, we give the impression sometimes that – I'm trying to say this as diplomatically as possible. We give the impression sometimes, apparently, that we played on teams that went 12-0 and and won national championships when we obviously didn't. I think the distinction is we give examples from when we played because number one, that's why we're on this podcast is to provide the player perspective as opposed to the typical analyst perspective. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's why it's why you, me, and VIP are on it because we were players. That's number one. And number two is when we give those, and I'm and I'm speaking to the subscribers here, anybody who may have a concern with it, the reason why, and I don't need to give an explanation, but I'm 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 going to. Um typically when those examples come up, whether it's from EJ or myself. We're talking about individual assignments and individual um, responsibilities. And we talk about things that we experienced and that we were taught because we had, I think, objectively, an exceptional coaching staff. And on an individual basis, we saw the things we were taught work. So while we may have been on teams that uh, teams as a whole that went eight and four, or, you know, whatever the, whatever the final records may have been, um, individually i don't think it's assailable that many players developed and improved over the years uh even week to week implementing the things that we were taught and we now talk about those things that we were taught as ways to improve individual assignments and individual production which on a team this talented should result in more team wins on the whole but if nothing else result in individual better individual performances compared to what we're currently seeing. And that's to the extent an explanation was needed, which it absolutely was not. Um, That is why EJ and I share our personal experiences, what we know, what we experience with our former staff and our former life. Um, That's why we provide those, those explanations. So for context, again, it's an individual thing. It's not, you know, we, we obviously didn't play on 12 and 0 13 and 0 national championship teams. We thought we were going to, we didn't. That's not how it worked out. Um, we have no disillusions of that. We are very aware of how all that turned out. Uh, but on an individual basis, that's why we provide those, um, why we provide that context. So, so for anybody who's got an issue with us talking about, you know, the way it was when we played, you know, get off our, you know, the, it makes it, and we sound like, you know, get off our lawn, you know, old men yelling at clouds. Boomers. Number one, we are old men yelling at clouds. Yeah, it's absolutely are. true. Uh, two, get off of my lawn and while I yell at my cloud and three, that's why, you know, we give the context because we think it's, you know, it's, it's helpful when analyzing individual assignments. So I appreciate everybody. I appreciate the feedback I've been told is out there. Um, there's your explanation. I'm never talking about it again. Oh, and I also want to shout out the TSA agent who recognized, um, us from the pod, recognized me from the podcast. And I was like, He's like, oh, you're EJ Wilson. I was like, oh, you must have seen me play. He's like, no, I reckon I listen to your podcast every week. <laughs> I was like, oh, I, I, I played a little ball too, sir. But, no. We were too busy going eight and four. Nobody was paying attention back then. <laughs> exactly. That's the another reason why we, we got to remind people what, what it was like when we played so that they remember that we actually played football. <laughs> <laughs> 
the, we're not just, the podcast we're not just, continues we're, to grow. We're getting recognized we're not just, at airports. We're oh, not yeah. just we're not just we're not just three beautiful men on this screen <laughs> talking about. You know, you're welcome, ladies. Speaking of beautiful men, Taylor's gonna ultimately get to you know what's your what's your final takeaway? Um, I'll I'll go ahead and fast track us there. My take, you don't even need to ask me. My final takeaway is this right here. If you can see it, where's the lighting? Oh my god! Oh, that looks about right. Yeah. For for everybody listening to the audio, I'd advise you to go to YouTube. It's a it's a young Phil Longo playing for Rowan College. Same haircut. Same look. Look at the facial hair. Look at the soft the soft beard. Oh, it timed out. Hang on. Here we go. Is that Longo or Bosworth? That's the boss. (laughs) Look at that. Oh, look at that. Look at look at that neck. That is a bone crusher. It reminds me of uh geez, who was the the linebacker? Phil Longo. No, it was a linebacker coach we had a couple years ago. Eckler, I think. Yeah. Where he he wore the like the cowboy collar and was running down on kickoffs, trying to like blow people up. They would always show it in uh, our special teams meetings before getting started. One of his hits where that 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 player wears a cowboy collar for sure. This is this is the face of three point one yards per carry <laughs> of pure pain. Yes, I don't know what his yards per carry was, but that tells me three point one. And painful. The fi- the final stat line was about ninety yards, thirty carries, two touchdowns. I have so much more respect for Phil Longo after seeing that, and knowing he played for John Bunning, because yeah. I know you know what that tells me. It's Phil tough. Longo, lo- Phil Longo loves football. Exactly. Love <laughs> Any John Bunny guys? <laughs> hey, John Bunny guys, listen. You know what I mean. Phil Longo loves football. Oh yeah. Now, uh, for everybody's favorite part of the podcast, it's it's say something nice, EJ. I think you'll have the tougher time here, so I'm going to let Mike go first so you have a little – some time to uh, think about it. Mike, what's your, what's your say something nice? I mean, I just did. I mean, I'm so much more excited now about our offensive coordinator three years into his tenure because I didn't know this little factoid about him. So it just it, – it, so, it gives me more confidence moving forward for the rest of the season that we're going to be productive <laughs> and that we're going to be a tough team on offense. Now, in, all, in all seriousness – um offensive line cleaned up a lot of things we got to clean up stupid penalties like it's just that can be corrected that's a concentration issue that's a you know situational awareness thing you know you learn from stuff like that you know the holding call down there in the red zone you learn from it i promise you it it won't happen again at least not to that player okay i mean that's how that's how this stuff works he won't make that mistake again um sometimes you got to screw something up to learn how to do it right um and every did everything right and again i think it was william barnes I got to go back and look at the film. I think it was William Barnes, um, but um, it could have been McKeith and I'm not sure, but the point is everything was done properly. Just the very end, just know, you know, let the guy go, let him make the tackle, score the touchdown on the next play. You know, you don't have to be a hero. Um, but overall, I thought the offensive line cleaned up a lot of stuff. And again, you know, appreciate Sam Howell and what you have. He's not going to be back next year. If he is, I'm going to go smack him. Um, the kid needs to go. Um, but appreciate what he's done for this program, the production he's had, the name he's been, and really the example he's set for the program for the past few years. I mean, really, like it. Appreciate what you have in that kid. I'm I'm very proud to say that kid wears the same colors I wore. EJ, what about you? What's your say something nice? 
You just echo, maybe, maybe Sam Howell. Uh, yeah, yeah, Sam Howell's our quarterback. No, Miles uh, Murphy is an animal, dude. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that was honestly, I was trying not to harp on Miles and Jeremiah, that dude, but that it's hard not to. That, I, that dude has a guard three yards in the backfield every play. Oh, yeah, and like I was telling, I actually had a chance um, in my um, own professional life to interact with the guy that coached Miles while he was in mm. high school. And every week, after every week, I'm texting a guy and saying, Miles is, is making himself more and more money every game. So I well, that, that is really a big positive for me, the fact that this young man's coming out there and he's really, really being as advertised or more. I really think that he's a special type of player. When I see him play, I see, I think that's what Marvin Austin was supposed to be when he came to UNC. Not saying that Marvin wasn't that type of player, but I think Miles is a little bit more powerful than he was. And I mean, the guy's absolutely awesome. Um, I hate that we're not going to have Jeremiah Kimmel next year, but um, first, first, uh, say something nice. Miles Murphy's absolute animal. Second is that. The way that the, the way that Jeremiah and, and Ray and some of these guys play, these guys are really playing hard and they're laying out on the field. I don't think this. I mean, we say a lot of things. And we're very critical of this team. But the one thing that we're not saying is that these guys are going out there, giving up and playing hard. And at the end of the day, I don't care how many games we're winning or losing. If we have a program that's going out there, playing hard and playing till the end, I'm still going to support them and watch. I absolutely don't see any quit. I will give yeah, you that. None at all. You might be making mistakes. But they're going. They're making those mistakes going 100 miles an hour. Yeah, and the uh, the Kyron Williams 91 yard touchdown. You could see oh. Miles Murphy get tackled to the ground. And if if you expect to get any calls in South Bend, you're you you haven't been watching <laughs> Notre Dame football ever. Um, <laughs> but my say something nice. It's I'm going to echo what Mike said. Sam Howell, his quarterback grade according to Pro Football Focus, it's the seventh best. For uh, Power Five quarterbacks, it's it's a case where every week he's putting this team on his shoulder, putting the team on his back, whatever the saying is you want to use. But um, this this team's probably a sub easily a sub five hundred team without Sam Howell. With Sam Howell, they're where they are now. It should be a lot better with a with a better defense. But without Sam Howell, this team is uh, would be in a lot of trouble, some serious trouble. Um, and a lot closer to the two win teams, the three win teams that we had saw um, before Mac Brown kind of got brought back. And uh, that's my say something nice. But if you want to look at the the power five pass, uh, the quarterback grades, Sam Howell is seventh. Next week, Carolina plays the number two quarterback, Sam Hartman. <laughs> then they play Watford. And then they go on the road Thursday night against the number one graded quarterback, Kenny Pickett. Mm. So. Th 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 Kenny Pickett in both of his gloves. <laughs> Kenny, Kenny Pickett is licking his chops, knowing that this Carolina defense is eventually going to be making their way to Heinz Field, especially with them coming off a, a loss to Miami on Saturday. But Carolina back in action on Saturday, back in Keenan Stadium against an undefeated Wake Forest. Who would have thought we would be saying that? Guys, uh, looking forward to breaking it down next week. Yeah, man. See you guys.